Hey everyone, it's David. Just wanted to pop in before the episode to acknowledge that we did miss uh, our upload date last week. uh, And that is because I'm in the middle of moving and it takes a lot of time to edit these sometimes. So we have pushed all of our things by a week. So we're releasing this, you know, on today, August 25th. And our schedule is going to resume normally from here. So every two weeks another episode will be posted. So two weeks from the 25th will be episode seven and so forth. We apologize if you were dying to listen to this episode last week and couldn't. Uh, So I won't stop. I won't hold it up anymore. Without any further ado, here's episode six of Caring Too Much. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to episode six of the Caring Too Much podcast. And this week, as always, I am joined by the lovely Alex and you, I am David, but you probably know that because it's been the two of us every week and that's how we do it here. Um, what a great way to do it it is. <laughs> so this week we are getting into uh, the topic of basically education. We're going to go into some more specific areas, um, you know, specifically talking about online learning and things like that. Um, But yeah, we figured that with the majority of people um, who listen to this, we assume you're Canadians, so you'll be going back to school in September. Um, So that's right around the corner. So we thought this would be a good topic to sort of end off the summer with. So without any further ado, we will jump right in. Okay, so... I mean, let's get started. Uh, I mean, both of us, we are both going back to school in, I mean, a month from when we're recording this, but about two weeks from when this, when you are listening to this, uh, if you're listening to it on the day that it comes out. Um, How do you feel, Alex, about just in general going back to school, given the... Given the circs? Yeah, I was like, I don't know how to put the current situation that we are in in a few words, but yeah, given the current situation, how are you feeling about returning to class? Given, given the circs, uh, I like that because that's what my dad always says. Um, I, I have mixed feelings. I am excited to be doing something and like learning stuff again. <laughs> yeah. But however, um, as, as you may know, David, in the Faculty of Arts at X University this year, almost all of our classes are going to continue in a fully online format, and that makes me want to tear my hair out and scream. So mixed, mixed feelings there. Well, How are you feeling? Yeah, I um, I have a lot of thoughts. Um, I some of which um, I won't be able to say until September first. Uh, for those of you who are uh, who know me know exactly why I can't speak certain things until September 1st, but Ooh, secret reasons. Well, I'm just not allowed to contradict the officials. Um, but <laughs> I, I mean, I'll just say that we got a message, you know, earlier in the year talking about how it would be a hybrid, uh, fall semester. Um, and I just really would love to know how I went 22, 23 years of my life, not knowing what the apparent definition of hybrid is because I'm, fully online and every single person I know is fully online. And (laughs) as a fun fact, I looked it up. Everyone's online. There's no one doing hybrid. I'm gonna have to bleep that, but it was worth it. Cause I'm mad. Like we were told. Hang on, hang on. 
Sorry, I just want to offer a minor correction here. Um, there are a handful of courses that are happening in person. So anyone enrolled in one of those, I think is technically doing hybrid. No, I know. And and I was, I was, I was going to get to that. There's like the program, like dance program. And like, if you're doing research, like you'll be able to come back to campus and all that kind of stuff. But like, spoiler alert, that was already the case for this past year. It just wasn't advertised. Like, yeah, they weren't talking about how dance students were in person, but they were, they were in person this year. They did their dance studios. Cause how do you dance online? You don't. That's impressive. Okay. We've, we've had a hybrid model. We, uh, we, we've been in hybrid learning mode, I guess. It's, I think <laughs> in, our, that, in our homes. <laughs> I think that things will change. Like as we get further into the school year, there will be more and more opportunities for people to on a one by like, like on one-off situations come to campus. And that's why they called it hybrid. But I would just say that to whoever wrote a press release that's to all students saying your next semester is hybrid. I would like to call you a liar. I don't, I'm sorry. I, I would, it's, it was pretty much a lie. Like you could, you should have sent out a thing to students saying you are going to be like, almost everything is going to be online. There will be some exceptions. Those will come soon because like people made their decisions of where they were going to live. If they were leave it, like if they were going to come back to Canada and they probably didn't make them to the point that they were irreversible by the time that they realized, oh, it's not actually that hybrid. But it's just so stupid. And like, it's why, not like this why? was an, an unknown uh, state of, of events either. You know, I, I remember hearing rumblings before the end of, of the winter semester that fall was going to continue pretty much all online. And that was more or less a, a given thing. I can tell you that as a staff member of the university, uh, there was absolutely no one at any point has been planning to return to in-person. Everyone has known the whole time that fall was not going to be in person. And then that email got sent out and I was like, wait, are things changing? And I was like, oh no, we're just lying in emails to students now. But anyway, um, this isn't really what we, that the whole episode's talking about. We're just setting the stage um, for anyone who isn't currently, you know, in university to understand what the current situation is. And I'm sure that it's fairly similar at other universities, you know, like the, and obviously, you know, I get why the communication has been the way it is. People want to be hopeful. I get it. It's nice to say that we're going to be like knowingly spreading I know. false hope. Like... I know, but I, I understand the reason I'm not saying it's okay, but I get why they did it. But, you know, it's probably similar at other schools as well. Um, but regardless of how it's been communicated to you, if you're a student in Ontario, a student in Canada, from as far as I'm aware, um, not in the States, because I think they're sending students straight to their deaths. I think to sign up for school in the States right now, you need a death certificate uh, ready to go for when you inevitably die. <laughs> submit, submit your will. It seriously, yeah, no, to attend classes, you need to have your end of life documents prepared. Um, but I think regardless of what situation you're in, you're probably going to have some version of online learning, even if it's only one course or if it's all your courses. And, um, I think over this last, we say year, I feel like it's been a decade, uh, over the past, uh, months, many, many months of the pandemic, um, something I actually focused a lot on was I did a research project with a friend of mine that focused on online learning. 
Um, and I think just all of us have been a lot more, have been paying a lot more attention to things that we would otherwise just kind of like take for granted. Like before it was like, you show up to class, your prof does what they do, you leave. But now because we were like forced to re-examine all these different things of like, how are we going to do these things in COVID? And then, you know, profs were asking students, how are you finding these new ways of learning and stuff? We're all thinking about, you know, the concept of how people are being educated a little bit more. Absolutely. Um, when a system shifts, it's it's a really good opportunity to examine it. I mean, we've seen the same thing in a lot of areas of life as we have shifted in response to the 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 the, the circs. <laughs> the circs. Um, no, and I think that's a really perfect way of kind of encapsulating what the message of this pod this podcast episode is going to be is things need to be re-examined. So why not re-examine them now when we've already been forced to change things? Because if we, you know, go back to the way we were doing things before and then try and change, that's like, we're going through multiple changes and no one likes change. Since we already have to go through the change right now of this hopefully short period, but potentially drawn out period of returning back. It's going to be a long time. I'm sure it's going to be a long time. I'm manifesting. <laughs> Let me manifest. David, I am so sorry, but we will have graduated by the time this transition is I know. over. I know. We're both, yeah, this is our last year. Uh, I don't think we are going to see the full transition back to, you know, being completely out of online learning. But I think that it makes much more sense, regardless of how long this process takes, it just mu- makes much more sense to change out of online learning into a new, better form of education, as opposed to being like, oh, cool, online learning's done. Let's just go back to the same old ways that worked um, to, uh, because they didn't work. <laughs> yeah, to, to borrow a term from the fossil fuel divestment people, we need, we need a just transition, um, you know, for students, for uh, professors, teaching staff like everyone, there are so many ways that our education system could be improved for absolutely everyone involved. And this is a great opportunity to realize some of that. Yeah, I I agree. I think um, the majority of what we talked about during this whole pandemic has been like very much like students versus teachers. Uh, And I say teachers because like, everyone who teaches you, not just profs. I mean, like your TAs, your lab instructors, all that stuff. Uh, It's been very much like seen as like they're going head to head because, you know, students are saying, oh, well, this current method is not really working for us, which it isn't. Um, And then, you know, teachers being like, well, we don't, we're also struggling right now. Like we don't have, we're like, we don't have any extra resources. We have less resources. COVID has made things harder for us. Mm -hmm. And I think that the administration just sits there and watches those two people, those two different groups like fight each other because the administration knows that it's their fault. It's maybe not their fault, their problem. You know, if, if the administration were to give more resources and time and support to faculty and to students, you know, then both of those groups could have their needs met, you know, needs needs be met. Wow. Uh, You know, (laughs) students could have, online classes and learning that is uh taught and facilitated that's functional well yeah but like just at a baseline functional which it hasn't been over the last year in many cases but 
that like that sort of good online learning environment does not have to come at the expense of like faculty and teachers, um, like well-being or like anything like that. Um, and yeah, I just yeah, think certainly. that like, that's where we need to shift from thinking about like, Oh, like profs aren't doing this. And it's like, well, every time that a, like, obviously, you know, I'm sure there are probably profs who just didn't care and it, it was on them, but largely like professors were given like a week or two to adjust and be like, your courses are now online, have fun. And yeah. obviously ranging from school to school, there were different supports and like maybe in one faculty at X university, like they had more support for like, let's say arts professors than maybe science professors. I have no idea, but I'm sorry, us privileged arts kids, <laughs> but overall there was not enough for any instructors and teachers to adapt their classes, which is why students suffered. So and faculty like, were, sorry, yeah, just faculty were suffering because they were expect, like they wanted to do better for students and students were suffering because faculty just did not have enough resources to make online learning work. Yeah. And like the, the profs who just were not like even, even trying really, uh, I had one, one or two of those myself, or at least I came across that way. But I really got the impression those are the profs who you would go to their in-person lecture before all of this, and they would still stand up at the front and kind of talk into space for, for three hours. Um, the vast majority of profs, you know, that, that I've spoken to over the last year, 18 months, whatever, have been having an awful time with this. You know, they like yeah. interacting with students it's hard for them when they have their office hours. And I mean, like few enough people show up in real life <laughs> when, when no one shows up like week after week after week. Um, yeah, I think Zoom office hours have been a barren wasteland. I really enjoy Zoom off, have enjoyed Zoom office hours because it's always just like me and the profs. So we get to chat, which is why I know these things. Well, and, and see, I think I think that has been a real downside for students is from what I know of students, just from my experience working, you know, doing student support and student engagement work and Being stuff. a student even. Well, no, because no? Uh, what I'm going to say is I don't think we fall into this, but I would say the majority of students would be mortified by that situation and would not want to be one-on-one -on -one in a Zoom office hour with a prof. And I think that is something that's keeping students from accessing them right now, um, which is- point. Yeah. Cause I, I don't know, just like from, from interacting with students, like I, I find that I usually like in a group project, I'm the first one to speak up and be like, okay, so what roles are we all going to take? Like, especially on zoom calls, I've noticed that it's like, you know, I sit there and I'm like, okay, is someone else going to say anything? And I like count to 10 and I'm like, no, okay. <laughs> what are we doing in this like breakout room? And so I feel like that would just be something I think that's an example of something that's a pretty easy fix. Like there are easy fixes to make that more comfortable for students, mm -hmm. but it's also a good example of something that professors shouldn't be expected to like come up with this like sort of alternative solution. Like they're doing their best by adapting to having, you know, zoom office hours, probably having to do them at various times because of time zones and things like that. You know, like the university could have set up some sort of like central system that you can log into for like i'm just obviously i don't know how feasible these things are but like there are things that could be done to and there's like 
things that could be tried, even if it's not a guaranteed fix, you could try something other than just being like, okay, do what you've always done, except on Zoom and pretend like it's the same thing. Yeah, the, I, I actually, I think that's one of the biggest things that is just an issue for universities in general. Uh, I was actually at a, a webinar earlier today um, that was talking about uh, more equitable hiring practices in post-secondary institutions. But um, one of the things that someone said there, which I hadn't even connected, I didn't realize that there was this connection, uh, but they said that um, something that we need to get away from is this like, I'm, I'm using their words, like the colonial mindset of having to have it perfect before you roll it out. I didn't realize that that was necessarily like a colonial, like something that comes with colonization of like mm -hmm. being afraid of trying things before it's been run through, you know, a, a committee and, you know, it's been reviewed by this person and that person. It's been piloted 5 million times by students, all those <laughs> sorts of things. But regardless of whether it's, I mean, again, I, I, they didn't say why it was colonial. They just kind of said it was, but. I mean, my, fir my, my first guess is wanting to keep this image of, you know, authorities and institutions being infallible and. I think whatever. it's certainly like, it's absolutely true that that hesitancy to do things before it's been, you know, piloted, committed, all those sorts of things. A hundred percent. I've seen it at least five different times mm -hmm. be used to shut down like BIPOC students at, at X university. Um, uh, and, and so I just think that in general, we just need to start doing some things because like, if we agree that the current situation online learning sucks, which it does, then like, yeah, I guess there's a possibility that we, in one of these tries, we're going to make it worse. But I like, I feel like you'd have to be pretty like, like to make things actively worse than you your current situation. Try. Like, like, yeah, like you have to be going in with that goal. Like, it's not going to be, oh, I threw out this idea. Like, yeah, I absolutely think, I, I think one of the most common things is inaccessibility is something that gets caught after it's like, oh, let's try this. And then after students start using that service or attending whatever it is, then we realize that it's not accessible. And I think that's an issue and we should be making sure that it's like, we're mitigating that and addressing it as soon as it does come up. But like the alternative is, you know, like, let's say we start this program, like, like, let's say like we start a new way of teaching in 2021. Right. And then a couple months into 2021, we realized that it was inaccessible and some students were being left out. So we adapt and fix it. And by the end of that year, we've got a good system yeah. or we just live in the current system that's inaccessible and then never implement a new one because we keep saying, well, what if it's not perfect? Yeah. It just and it's not like we're in happens. a situation right now where we have time like to run through a uh, hundred focus groups. Um, and like kind of, I, I, I definitely get the feeling by the time we get back to whatever, like in person or permanent hybrid or whatever the new system is, that's going to be kind of locked in until the, the next like pandemic or whatever happens. So well, that's there's the not thing. a million years to slowly figure out what change is absolutely perfect and then implement it. That, that I think is a hundred percent the thing. And I think that that actually brings us pretty nicely into our uh, recurring segment of the X university recap. Um, because, you know, talking about making change actually happen on campus, I think often comes down to students. 
Yeah. And um, as as you, our dear listeners, may or may not know, uh, we do, in fact, have an organization on campus that ostensibly is is involved with uh, student action. It's called RSU. You might have heard of it. They don't just steal your money. Uh, their their constitution says something else. Um, sorry, I mean, I'm being a little tongue in cheek here. <laughs> I mean, what what reason do either of us have to be uh, sore a losers? little <laughs> <laughs> us sore losers? No. Um, but yeah, RSU does actually have a student action committee, which uh, exists to to inform action on behalf of students. And I know, David, you know more about this than I do. So would you be able to tell us a little bit more about what that is and what it does, maybe even how to get involved? Wow, maybe even how to get involved. Possibly, um, if, if, if we have time. <laughs> so... The Student Action Committee, honestly, uh, like I think it's appropriately named, but for a lot of people, it would make more sense to be called like the Education Committee or the Academic Committee. It's a committee that handles everything to do with the RSU's position on academics at the university. Um, and so the RSU, the, this committee is an open committee. Any student can attend, um, theoretically. Um, I, I say that because the current Students Union, actually, just before we started recording, I was talking with Alex about how uh, there's another RSU open committee called the Equity Committee, which is meeting tomorrow. And as any uh, proper democratic committee that's open to all students should, uh, they only advertised it starting at about 2 p.m. today when the meeting is tomorrow at 2 p.m. So you are given inaccessibility. Yeah, you are given a full 24 hours to see it on their story because it's not emailed out. Uh, but if you if the RSU were to properly advertise and fully advertise this committee, I would really, really, really stress for people to like pay attention at least to it if you can't attend, because this committee works directly with the Ryerson Senate. To sorry, change- this, is the, this is the Student Action Committee yeah, we're sorry. talking about again? Yeah. yeah. Um, just th- that was that was just a little tangent about how. I want to acknowledge that it's very hard to attend these meetings because the RSU makes it very hard to attend. But Mm -hmm. if you can attend the student action committee, um, definitely do because they work directly with the Ryerson Senate, which is like the official Ryerson body. And sorry, I'm saying Ryerson because that's, that's what the, that's what it's officially called the Senate. Um, And they work to change anything and everything with academics at the university. Um, and so that could be if you are unhappy with the fact that like professors are assigning their own textbooks and charging you like marked up prices, literally just to be able to pass the course when that's objectively ridiculous, this committee could do something about that uh, and and has attempted in the past and has made changes to that specific issue in the past. Uh, they could also for example, with the issues you're facing right now, mandate things like, uh, or, or like work to get the university to mandate that profs can't make D2L quizzes uh, so that you can't go back and see your previous answers, because that's been a real issue that we've heard a lot from students during the pandemic has been like, you know, you do your multiple choice questions and you can't go back, or you have to do the multiple choice questions before you can get to the 
later questions, which is and like completely like it's actually contradictory to with how the university teaches students how to write exams. They say, if you don't know a question, skip it. Well, you can't with mm-hmm. the way that some profs have been setting things up. So all of these issues that you might be having with profs, with the way things are being taught, all of that can actually be handled by the student action committee. A couple fun facts about the student action committee hasn't met for two years. Um, it took me 13 emails back and forth with various people at the students union to finally reach the commissioner of the committee. I will say that once I reached the commissioner of the committee, they were super happy to talk to me and we set up a meeting pretty much right away. But I really, really would stress for students to like pay attention to what the RSU is doing. And email, not doing, you know, which, well, and, well, that, yeah, it can, which, can be equally important and right now is, might be more of the, the case. Yeah, I think there's probably more that's not happening that should be happening than things that should that are happening that shouldn't be happening. Um, so I would really stress, like, if you care about any of these issues, like that if there's issues going on in your classes with how your learning is going, you feel like you're not getting the most out of your degree, like you're paying tuition, you're not getting much out of it. The RSU has a committee to address that, that you are able to attend. They just aren't holding those meetings. So email the VP education. You can email them at vp.education at rsuonline.ca. You can DM them on Instagram, on Twitter. And like, I don't find out who you want to, who your faculty representatives are on RSU Mm. and try to get in touch with them. It's not necessarily the, the most surefire way to get anything to happen if you don't know them, but I, I do think it's one of those things where the more people have been contacted about it, the more chance there is that someone is going to take it seriously. Yeah. And, and, and obviously, you know, we joked about it at the start. Yeah. The two of us ran for RSU and we did not win that election. Uh, and that's why we're on a podcast talking about these things instead of actually doing them. I would love to be doing these things, but I do. Enjoy I, I want podcast, to, though. well, yeah, no, I obviously <laughs> maybe I'd be doing both, but I I think the important thing is like the current folks who are in the RSU often see like any sort of student saying like, Hey, do this, do that as like criticism. And I I don't want people reaching out to the RSU, like listening to this and then reaching out to the RSU and saying, Hey, you suck run this committee. Even though maybe I think that like, like whatever, like the past is the past. The fact that these same people haven't run it for years. Okay they've made choices and I hate them, but looking at the situation (laughs) we're in right now, like shitting on them, isn't going to get us anywhere. Like email them and say like, Hey, I have issues that I want to bring up. And can we bring these to a committee meeting? Like, cause like, that's what the RSU is like. Yeah. You vote for people and 20 or so people are elected to the RSU, but there are more student staff at the RSU in a regular year. Obviously this year is not the case because certain services are closed, but there are more student staff at the RSU than there are elected people. There are more open committees. Like there are more people who have attended open committees in the past than there are elected people on their closed committees. Like we actually have so much ability to change things and sort of push the RSU in a direction that's going to benefit students And it just doesn't happen because people don't attend these meetings. And obviously part of it is because they're very poorly advertised, but this is my message to you being like, follow the RSU on Instagram and check their story every day 
and you might be able to attend a meeting that would actually like make hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars of change in your life and students' life. So that would be my message. Yes, we all know RSU has its issues, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who's elected because these committees still exist. Whether people you agree with or disagree with are in power, you still have the exact same amount of power to attend these committee meetings and have your voice be heard. So do it is my message. I will be there at the equity committee meeting tomorrow. I will be there whenever the student action committee meeting is finally announced. Um, I mean, tomorrow when we're recording this, I'm sure. Sorry. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. We'll be long gone. And potentially the first student action committee meeting will have happened by the time this is released. But the most, like the only thing is a whole year ahead of us though. There's hopefully tons of meetings coming up. They should meet every month. They're required to meet every month. So there's a whole year of meetings, attend them because if only one person, even if it's the most informed or vocal or whatever person attending, if it's only one person, it doesn't matter. If we have 30 people who show up who care about their education though, that's going to be a great meeting because there's going to be 30 students talking about how we can improve our education together. And that's what the RSU is supposed to be about. Um, and I think it's still possible, even though there are people who I personally disagree with who are in certain positions, it doesn't really matter because those are just a few small, certain positions. We're still the students that this union represents. Mm-hmm. Now, so, yeah. I, I know, <laughs> I know that one uh, nice thing about being online all the time is that you're, you're in one place, it's easier to hop on to, you know, a, a meeting at the, maybe not at the drop of a hat, but you don't have to figure out like what your commute time is going to be to get there uh, or whatever. So why don't, this is a, this is a very smooth transition. Um, why don't <laughs> we talk about some of the good things about online learning, even if it has been implemented very poorly, that uh, that we would like to stick around when we go back to, uh, I mean, I guess stay in a, in a hybrid <laughs> model, go back in person. I have a suggestion for potentially a different way to transition. Okay. Do, do we maybe want to say like, so speaking of changes that you might want to see, let's talk yes, about some better. of the, let, we, yeah. could, we could do, do, okay. Do you want to do it again or? Yeah. Okay, cool. So speaking of the kinds of changes that uh, that we'd like to see in our education, I know we were planning to talk about some of the upsides of online learning as poorly as it may have been implemented. (laughs) Um, You know, and stuff that we would like to stick around for whatever this transition ends up being. So why don't we dive into that a little bit? Yeah, I think think it's a great thing to like, I mean, the first about, half hour of this podcast was focusing on the bad things that are, or the negatives of the pandemic. And there are obviously a lot, but, um, I did spend the last year studying how COVID affected students online learning. And again, the majority of what we heard was awful. You know, it was varying answers that all basically were summed up with I'm suffering, please help me. I think of all the people <laughs> I have spoken to, I, yeah, I, I can think of one single person who told me that they like online learning. <laughs> yeah. I think there, there was almost no one who said that they were happier. Like there were more pros to them than cons. Yeah. However, 
there was no one that I spoke to throughout the entirety of this research project that we did that said there was nothing that they liked about the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I would say 99% of people said that they love the no commuting aspect. And I mean, got to Like agree. who doesn't? Yeah. Like the fact that, first of all, the fact that like if we were in person, like we probably wouldn't have even considered recording this podcast online. We'd have to meet up every week, record, find a place to record in person that was quiet and good uh, and like have equipment, all these different things. But Zoom being introduced to our lives was like, wait, it's so much easier for us to sure. Maybe it's not the highest sound quality. And we acknowledge that, but my, my mom says it's good. <laughs> I mean, I don't believe your mom has studied sound engineering, so it's that's, okay. It's okay. She yeah. says it's good. <laughs> um, you know, to any of my friends listening from RTA are probably like, Oh yeah, this is like, there could be changes, but, but, The point is there's a lot of things that we wouldn't have realized like we could make use of like zoom. I wouldn't have considered for so many different things. Uh, I've been able to hang out with a lot of friends that are in other provinces that I never get to hang out with. I've actually hung out with them more this year than I've ever hung out with them. Yeah. Right. like, Like I barely knew video conferencing was a thing. Like I had never heard of zoom. I, I knew what Skype was, but it like sucks. So Somewhat honestly, pinning okay, that, last time I used Skype, it sucked. I was gonna say pinning that for a future. Po- I think we could do a whole podcast episode on how Skype absolutely squandered this pandemic because <laughs> it used to be such a household name, and you'd think it would be even more right now, but that little sound ruined it for them. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so not having to commute, I, I think, was probably the biggest, and and also like not just having to like not having to commute, but also like the other things that just come with your work being at home means that all of the amenities of your home. So it's not just, you know, your bed in the morning when you wake up, you don't have to commute to work, but now it's like your lunch can be in your fridge, in your kitchen. You can make a fresh lunch for lunch. Exactly. If you have half an hour between classes or whatever, you can sit down on your couch, hang out. You don't have to find like a rare empty spot in the SLC or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, go for a walk. Like, I mean, you can go for walks in many places, but you can go for a walk (laughs) in the nice spaces around your home. Yeah. I mean, I think walking was probably actually more available before because you would probably walk while commuting. But I I think that (laughs) the other aspect, this one depends on what this could be a good or bad, but some people definitely had a good experience of this was like, you're around your family slash whoever you live with the whole day. So it was like, it wasn't, you know, Oh, I'm going to school. So now I'm not going to see my family for, you know, 10 hours today because I've got one morning class and one afternoon class, which means I can't see them the whole day because I've got to be on campus that whole time. Now it's like, if you've got a morning and afternoon class, that whole free time in the middle is actually free time. And you can, do whatever you want with your household. I know However, that there's uh, a lot of pets who have been really enjoying having their people around all the time as well. Definitely pets. Um, but then obviously, like I said, that leads into the other side of that is where it ends. Like you can't like for this past, you know, up until maybe a month and a half, two months ago when double vaccine was kind of like 
everywhere available in, in, in Ontario, at least. Um, that was the end of who you could socialize with. So it was yeah. like, yeah, you've got all this free time now to socialize. For me, living alone, it was awful. And I have slowly fallen into the, the clutches of insanity over the last several months. <laughs> I, uh, I can tell you, I'm sure it's a, a different experience, but having not lived alone at any point here, um, it has also been very awful at times, um, especially no, nothing against my family, but oh my God, before I moved out, when everyone was at home all the time, unbearable. <laughs> Love you guys. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, it's not something that anyone like, you know, like, like looking at any of those sort of extremes, like we basically did what astronauts have to do or like what people going on a submarine or who are going to go on an expedition to Antarctica have to do. And they undergo years of psychological assessment to make sure that they are going to be okay in isolation at the South Pole for a couple months. Oh my we God, all just thought of it that way. Yeah. Right. Like we all just went through that without any choice, without any preparation and with no end in sight as well, right? Like the other thing about, you know, isolation that people choose, whether it be like people going to work in remote areas, like going to work at the South Pole uh, being the most extreme example. Um, but even in Canada, like going up to like eat, or even just if you live in Northern communities, right? Like this is isolation that they face all year round pretty much. And we don't ever really think about that. Um, that, that could yeah, be a there's episode a, too. If, if it's like an expedition you're going on, there's a, there's a set length to it. Exactly. You're like, oh, even if this like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm having a really awful day being isolated. At least you can say to yourself, oh, well, in two months, I'll see my family again. There was no point of that for for us until about two months ago, if you were in Ontario. But, but um, to, to, this, to swing back to. <laughs> I think I think you were um, going to. So I think I lost you from Zoom for a second there. Am I back? Oh, no. Hi. OK. But yes, so all good. that's all to acknowledge, you know, that's the situation we've been living in with online learning. But the thing that we want to focus on for, you know, a little bit here is what if we take away all of those things that are making on like our lives awful right now and just kept online learning? Because if you strip away all the other things, like it being illegal to go outside or all those other, like all the other things that came with the <laughs> pandemic, Online learning only had a couple things that I was, I would kind of say like, oh, this needs to change. And then I would love it. Yeah, absolutely. Like when, when everything was real back in the day, I, I would dream of like being able to <laughs> roll out of bed and telecommute to class. That would have been really nice. Uh, no, like there is nothing, no better feeling in the world. Like, so I, I used to live in residence on campus and I thought it was amazing being able to wake up 10 minutes before a class. Now I don't even have to like, I can in bed, open up the zoom call and slowly make my way over to my desk. And it's like 10 minutes into the class. I'm finally sitting at my desk attending the lecture, <laughs> you know, that is awesome. That is such a luxury. That is so nice. And if we, you know, if I could do that and then after my class finishes, go to a party with my friends because the pandemic is over, that's the best of both worlds right there. 
For sure. That and is think, what we want. <laughs> I think I think there's also been a distinction over this last little while between attending classes and watching classes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously, depending on the professor, uh, there's all kinds of different ways they do it. Uh, for those of you who are not students or haven't been in the last uh, year or so, uh, some professors will just have class in a Zoom call. It'll be live, uh, not recorded. You got to show up. Some professors will do that, but they'll record the class. And some professors will just record videos and then you watch the videos. Um, I'm not sure if there are profs who don't record anything at all and just post materials. Oh, and I'm seeing you nodding. Okay, that sounds awful. But um, I, I, I know for myself, my, my favorite is, is the middle ground where the class happens live. You can show up, you can ask questions, you can participate, uh, but it is also recorded in case you can't make it or when you want to review um, or if you want to go back and listen while you're doing the test. No, I'm just kidding. We, we, we support academic integrity here. <laughs> um, and I think this, this whole time I have seized onto that as if there is one thing to carry over. And there's lots of things we could carry over, but I would really like that to be one of the recording live classes because stuff happens, life happens, people review material in different ways. And I think it's just such a good like accessibility measure to have recordings available for students who are taking the class. Revolutionary. I mean, a hundred percent. I think just on an accessibility level, every class should be recorded, even if it's not made available to everyone, at least so that people who have like a documented excuse can get that recording. But mm, And like, we already have peer note takers. Exactly. So it like, would, yeah, it's, it would, it's not like yeah. it's unprecedented to do something for accessibility purposes. And then I think we should take that. That's my argument to the the people who are like, oh, well, we don't want to reward students who who like don't come to class, that kind of stuff. I, I don't subscribe to that ideology, but that would be my argument for at least making them recordings available for, for people who really need them. Every class should be recorded. So there is a recording there in case someone needs it. Yeah. I mean, um, sorry, not to, not to cut you off, but I know what my, my stats professor back when my stats class happened in person, her thing was she had notes for the class that she would distribute to students who showed up to class and signed the attendance sheet or students with accessibility needs. Like if you didn't have anything documented and you skipped class, you wouldn't get the notes, but you could do that same kind of thing with recording if you're really concerned about rewarding, you know, people who don't show up. Yeah, I think- I don't think it's like a great idea, but- Yeah, I think that's the solution. If that is the only way a prof is going to do it, it's better than nothing. But I think that it's, it's just like my message, if a prof is listening to this, or if anyone talks to a prof in the future, this would be the message I would give to them. Like just life is so complicated. Like, like what, like, let's say like I have a class, I don't know, God forbid, you know, my mom dies. So I missed that class that day. I'm not, are you seriously going to make me go and get like my mom's death certificate to be able to access the, just give me the recording, you know, like who cares? It, it really isn't that big of a deal, I think. And also, you're still missing out on a lot if you don't attend the class and you listen to a recording. 
So like it's 100%. If someone, if a student still does, like, let's say in that worst case scenario, recordings are available to everyone. A student sees that and is like, I'm never going to attend because I can just watch every recording. I would almost guarantee you that they're still going to do worse. Right. Also, Unless like, I don't know. I don't think we have to, obviously like if, if, if there's a prop listening with very strict, <laughs> uh, you know, moral ideas, then maybe you feel differently, but I really don't see the point in taking like a crime and punishment approach to people showing up to class in university. No, like, absolutely. Profs are not our element. They're, they're not our, you know, school teachers. They are not here to instill that val- kind of instill values depending on the prof, but they're not here to like teach us behavior. They are here to give us an education. And if the way we want to get that education is through recordings, like we're paying tuition, we're entitled to, learn what we're signed up to learn. <laughs> and and that's exactly it. Like, even if there is that case of a student who just watches the recordings and still gets a hundred, then like, good job. That's how they learned. Good for them. We should be happy that they, they did that. And then for all the other students who needed and chose to attend the lectures, that's how they wanted to learn. Like who cares? But all of this is, you know, an, a never ending problem. Cause the, the problem here is, is just, you know, uh, disagreements about like, like between, you know, instructors and profs and whatever, about if that's okay to be giving out your recordings and that's ultimately not going to be decided by us. But what I can say is on what Alex was saying earlier about how like those pre-recorded video lectures, like I believe you said something like, I think that's best for everyone. Something like that. I can say that I have data on that uh, for specifically ex-university students. Um, Obviously, it's not every single student, but it is a sample size of about 300. Um, 72% of students surveyed said they prefer hybrid. Um, Only 25% said they prefer synchronous and 22% said they prefer asynchronous. Now, I know those things don't those numbers don't add up to a hundred and it's because it was a little more complicated than just like a three choice question. Like it was, there were rankings involved and whatever, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to read out to you a whole research report right now, but it is available online. If you want to check it out, you can always DM me, but, um, and then also going into specific, like, uh, content delivery, 71% of students said that pre-recorded video lectures is one of their top preferred. Uh, 60% said that synchronous class time is one of their top third. And then we dropped down to about 45% in the third spot, uh, saying that group chats is their third favorite. And that is because there are profs who like will create like a Slack team Interesting. and, and work with students. I had a class actually where a prof did that personally hate it, but it was really cool. It, it doesn't yeah, work for I, me, but it, what I saw it working really well for others. I mean, I, I like email slack is one of those things where if i get a notification it like sets the the tone for my day and it's not a, not a good tone um but but yeah like if that works that's so interesting yeah and and so i think like this shows that students want a change like cuz cuz we asked also like do you want these things to continue after covid and everyone no one wants like only online lectures to continue but Almost everyone, you know, when we were talking, like I said, the questions were a little more complicated and we summarized it into that 72% saying they preferred hybrid. 
of those 72% of students, they were all saying very similar things along the lines of like exactly what you were saying, Alex, where you're just sort of like rote memorization content. That is a pre-recorded video that is maybe 20, 30 minutes. And that's what you watch in advance of your lecture. And then you hop into a live zoom call where it's an hour or two of conversation and, and more like dynamic lecture stuff. So like, yes, the prof would be potentially lecturing for a bit of it, but then there would be maybe zoom breakout groups or, you know, various other things that would actually have students engaging and participating. And that is what 72, 72%. That's not a small percent. It's not like, Oh, just over half. Like that is three quarters of students basically saying that they want hybrid, you know, and that is, you know, moving forward after it's not necessary anymore. And I so, think the other great thing about hybrid is obviously a lot of profs like to teach their courses in different ways, but it'll, it allows for a great deal of flexibility in how that's going to happen. Uh, and I think, yeah. you know, there's, there, there's no one size fits all approach, obviously, for both teaching styles, learning styles, what fits certain material, whatever. But yeah, there, there's so much more we can do if we if if we work like build on a hybrid system. Uh, and I think that's opens up a lot of really cool possibilities. Yeah, no, I think that it it would solve a lot of problems with the current system that we use, which is like, I would say largely lectures, like, like I have had others and there are profs that do great work and I'm not trying to discount that, but I would say largely in all of my ex university lectures, you show up, you sit down, you shut up, you leave. Like that is the whole lecture, even though there are plenty of opportunities, I think like, especially it was much more of a problem in my first degree of computer science because it was so easy to just make that we're just putting a bunch of code on a screen you stare at it for three hours i'm going to monotone ramble about it and then you leave and that's how computer science kind of is so it kind of had a free <laughs> pass to just be that way whereas you know i'm in a communication degree now so communication has to be a little little higher level um but i'm well, thinking of that obviously i'm I'm a psych student for anyone who doesn't know that about me. Um, and it's, it's really funny because psych, like they teach you about how people learn and what, what kind of teaching is effective. And then what they do is they have a three hour lecture where they <laughs> talk for three hours. Um, and I love I have, it. I have asked a few of my profs why they do this when like they know we, everyone knows that in psych that this is, pretty much the worst possible way to teach um fun fact people can hold sustained attention on a lecture for about 20 minutes and then your attention starts to wander and you can maybe get it back for 10 minutes and then it just goes all over the place not great um and their answer is always just like yeah this is the the, the faculty policy this is these are the time slots we're given uh, and this is really the only way that we can teach in this structure. We hate it. We know that you guys hate it. Not, not, not really much else we can do, though. So. And this brings us back to the student action committee. This is <laughs> like not to like people always say, like, why do you always make things about like the RSU, like things like whatever, because everything like like at the university can be changed by students. So like, please, if you did listen to this podcast and you are like, yeah, I 
am not really vibing with my education. Cause it's like, I know none of us are like, Oh, I can't stand. Like I'd never go to another class again. Like that's not the case we're in. And that's why we, the status quo, you know, sort of maintains because, and, and I'll own up to it. I've been here seven years. I've never done anything about it. I haven't. Well, I've done some things, but haven't organized a student strike. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. Oh, shit. Okay. I was part of that organizing committee. Okay, you can cut, you can cut that then. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> to be fair, it wasn't gotcha. a very successful student strike. Well, <laughs> oh, that could be a whole other episode. The problems with it, it was in the middle of Ram Ganesh stealing money. It was a pretty good student <laughs> strike. I will, I will. Wait, was fight this, you on was that this a walkout that you're talking about? Yeah. Okay, that's not a strike. Well, no, there hasn't been a student strike. Yeah, but we, that was called a strike. Anyway, we're going to okay, cut all well, this out. Um, but yeah, basically, it, it, it's like I always come back to it because students can change everything. Like, I can't explain to you how many times out of like and people people who know me know I've had positions on campus. Never. Uh, these examples I'm giving right now has never been because of a position I held. If you just email people, they respond and do things. Like I sent an email to, oh God, I'm going to forget what it was. It was, I sent an email to, um, actually, you know what? I'm not, I remembered, but I don't want to call people out. So I sent an email to someone who worked at Ryerson and I was like, Hey, this thing on your website doesn't really make sense. Like for students and I, whatever, 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 like just pass it. Like, and you know, you do it politely, of course. Like, and I said, just passing on this feedback. I know this isn't urgent and there's lots of other stuff, whatever. And they responded back being like, love this. Like, thank you so much. And then within like a week or two, they had changed it so that it was like more accessible. You can do that kind of stuff, that kind of stuff on a small basis. When it's things like that, you can get that kind of stuff with one email. When it comes to these bigger issues that we're talking about, like the fact that 72% of students want hybrid. You might need two emails for that. You might need the student action committee. We might need a group of students, like get your course union, you know, get, get your course union, whether you're on it or not, go to them and say, what are we doing to change how our program teaches after this pandemic ends? Send your, send your course union a DM, start that conversation. And if they say, you know what, we're not really interested, then run for your course union, take over, get something done. Or I would guess they're probably going to respond back and say something like, yeah, cool. Like, is that something you're passionate about? Like, let's work on that this year. And then you can work on that and actually change things. Like the number of things that I've been able to change, I'm not going to pretend that some of that is not because of, you know, privilege of certain positions that I've held, which also, you know, comes from privilege of, you know, being a white dude walking into places and people are more likely to listen to me, but there are lots of cases where people had no idea who I was because I they never even saw me in person and I was able to get change done. And it's it's really just about like, look, like, are you upset about something? Do you want something to change? Look into it for five minutes. There's probably a way to change it. We really like I, I mean, I say we I'm speaking as much for myself as anyone else, but we really look at the university as such an inflexible um, and like firm, firmly existent. I don't know what the, what the word for this is, but inflexible, um, institution and forget that it's made up of people who 
often are happy to, to do things, make other people's lives better. You know, they probably going to work and they have like hours where they're just staring into space, waiting for someone to have a problem for them to fix. I, I hear that's what office jobs are like. Um, <laughs> Can confirm. No, I think that the, the biggest thing that, that you just said there, and I just, I want to say it again because it's so important is the university sucks. It does. Every giant corporation organization sucks, but the people are great. Like no one you email is going to respond to you and be like, that's a stupid idea. Like, no, even if they think that they won't say it, they're going <laughs> to respond and say, here's how you can go about doing it. Like I had, hmm, I had everyone's favorite problematic journalism student. That's all I'm going to say on who it is. Um, reach out to me early in the term of my board of governors, whatever, saying that they wanted the O Canada to play before every single class. And for that to be mandatory, we're not oh going to get into that. God, we're not going to get into that. Cause there's a lot to unpack there, but you know, I was like, I unfortunately can't respond how I want to. So I'm going to say, here's how you can get that to make that change happen. If you want to, that is kind of like the worst response you could get. If you email someone who is like, I hate this person's idea, but they're, they're an employee. They still have to be nice to you and say like, oh, well, here's the person you'd want to email or here's what you'd have to do. They're still going to have to give you the answer. They're doing their job. Exactly. And then the best part about being a student is you get to make someone's life hell while you bother them until they make these changes that are going to make our lives better. And obviously, again, this is all like, don't make an individual's life hell because a lot of these people are working in a system that they also would love to change and just can't. If you're going to like go after someone, go after someone right at the top. Not like, I mean, yeah. Email Lashemi every, every hour telling him, uh, but no comment, not, 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 <laughs> not the people on the front lines, but they're yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. And um, I mean, honestly, I've even heard some things from administration, high level administration people that I'm like, I know that they also want to change certain things that they just can't because the government is also another level that comes after the administration that, you know, or I won't say who or what, but there was a very high level administration person who was like, I hate that we have to increase, that keep increasing international fees, but like the government doesn't give us a choice. Speaking of which, sorry, I'm just pausing before we go into there. Um, I, I wanted to ask in post, instead of everyone's favorite problematic journalism student, do you want to just change that to like someone so you don't get sued? No, he can't sue me. I didn't even say no? he. That's okay, fine. perfect. Um, I also could, but I'll, I'll determine how I feel when I edit it. Speaking of which, uh, that that's actually a really good point. This uh, The issues with our education system go all the way up the ladder. Of course, everything is political. You know, either one of us, uh, you, you know, it's always going to come back to that at some point. And I, I think it's just important to say it, it's not like we want it to. Like, I want nothing more than to be able to sometimes avoid dealing with a politician or an elected official to get something done. But the reality is that look at something in your life, it's controlled by someone who's elected. If you're in a labor union, some policy that you don't like, maybe it's controlled by someone who's elected there. Something. I mean, if you pay taxes, (laughs) which everyone does or should, you know, it's everything comes back to the fact that whether we're talking about 
issues with our students union or issues about how education is funded, it all comes back to like your vote decided that in one way or another. And education as a sector is particularly involved with government. Obviously, in Canada, our primary and secondary education, we have completely free public education available uh, for the most part. As much as like there's issues with that, it is comparably very good public education compared to what some other people can get. Um, I know that's one of the big reasons my family moved here is because of the quality of Canada's public education. Um, And post-secondary education, even though uh, we we pay a lot for it, it is still heavily, heavily government subsidized. And so the government gets a lot of say in how it all works. and I mean, I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm not on the side of like privatize everything. Um, I, in fact, think it would be better if the government just uh, fit the bullet and fully funded post-secondary education 100%. or for a number of reasons. But- I just I, I don't get anyone who argues that education isn't important enough because it's like unless we're talking about someone who I don't know. I, everyone needs education. Like, like every single person gets yeah. educated. Right. And like to say, like, like I'll, I'll, I just find it interesting that I was trying to find a little more roundabout way to say it without specifically calling out conservatives, but I just find it interesting that conservatives are always like, we got to prepare the workforce. And then at the same time are like, let's cut education. And I'm like, you do Absolutely. understand that educating people leads them to the workforce, right? Absolutely. Like, what? obviously, not everyone goes or should go or has to go to post-secondary education, but it is undeniable that the existence of robust post-secondary is really good for a lot of things, including the economy. Um, I mean, and we can see this around the world where some Some of the, you know, there's a handful of countries that offer completely free education uh, all the way through post-secondary, doesn't matter what you do. Off the top of my head, I want to say Germany and Denmark are two who offer completely subsidized post-secondary, even for non-citizens, like international students, absolutely everyone. Um, And Germany in particular is a great example of a really strong economy. Um, you know, kind of taking over the whole EU. And I think it's really important to examine the the logic and the motives behind saying we want to help the economy on the one hand, workers, whatever, and on the other, pulling money away from education. Um, you know, we, we know that educated people who are not burdened with tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt as they enter the workforce are good for the economy. And we also know that people who are burdened with tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt as they enter the workforce are not very good for keeping the economy moving because as they earn money, that money does not go back into the economy. It goes into paying back the ridiculous amounts of student debt. Um, Woo. So, I mean, I don't think that the economy is the most important reason we should fund education. But even if you do, like, it is, it, there's a really good argument there for why we should subsidize education more. 
Yeah, I know both of us are of the uh, like mindset that we should fund education because education is just like how you become a better person. And so we should like, be funding education so that we yeah. are supporting the growth of people because uh, like people who want to get educated should be able to get educated without having to pay absurd amounts for it. Absurd yeah. amounts. And I think it, it, it just it, it all comes down to like. It's everything is is done to uh, like this whole episode, all of these issues that we kind of pointed out, it does come down to the fact that school now is viewed as a way to make a productive like worker as opposed to what school I think should be. And like when school is about this, people come out much better for it is if school was just about like bettering yourself, because right now the way that like your courses work is like, you have to take a four-year program. Uh, like, like find me a university degree that isn't scheduled to be four years by default. I'm, I'm waiting. I, I, I don't think there are many, if there are any at all. Mm-hmm. And that immediately says, I mean, like undergraduate degrees. Um, sorry. Yeah. 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 Coming, we're talking about like coming right out of high school, your options are start working or do four years of university or college. And I think that it is like the idea there is like either way you become a worker. And if you're doing the university or college first, it's just to become a better worker. It's not to like learn new stuff. Like, for example, it's not a secret that like let's let's just take across ontario it's not a secret i believe there was a list in recent years of like how different school boards are like educating kids better and worse and stuff like there's a like someone had a calculation of like oh this is how we waited if you came from this school because you're actually getting inflated marks all that kind of stuff university would be a great place to be like hey just take a year and it would be a sort of like equalizer of like hey well now like we've all like you've taken a year that just like broadened your horizons and made sure that everyone came up to like the same level of just general life skills, like critical thinking. Maybe there'd be less anti-vaxxers, um, problem solving <laughs> skills. Maybe there'd be less conflict, like all of these sorts of things that I find we always keep saying like, well, why don't you learn about how to manage a, do your taxes in elementary school? Quite honestly, I don't think elementary school kids should be learning how to do taxes. That is an adult thing. Like that would be a great thing to kind of learn in maybe at the end of high school or in this reimagined post-secondary area where you go to it because you want to learn something. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know Quebec has CEGEP, which is the 13th mm -hmm. year between high school and university. I don't actually know what it is. (laughs) I don't know what happens there. Um, I also don't know enough about it to talk about it, but I will say our systems where you do something between high school and university, and that could be a great place to learn some life skills. Yeah. I I do think that from just what I've heard from two or three friends that have been through Sajep, it it was basically high school. Like I do think it needs to be separate because if you're doing it and it's still basically high school, the same problems that your high school have, but I don't know. I just think that there's a lot to be said about shifting the reason for education to be, oh, we've got to make you the most productive worker who's going to make the most money possible. 
to being like, hey, how about we make you a more well-rounded human? Because personally, I've always found that like, well, I, I would much rather work with a well-rounded human than the person who got a 99. Like, actually, to that point, um, they're usually as, not great people, quite honestly. <laughs> excuse me. Um, I'm sorry. I, do you have a 99 average in university? I don't know. I have I have I have a 4.1 right now. Okay, That's well, quite a 99. I, I also was kind of I'm going to I'm going to cut all this out, but I was also specifically not. I was talking about people who have 99s in STEM. <laughs> oh, okay. So we'll, I'll, just fair enough. All, I'll just cut all that out. But, to be fair, if I had been in STEM, I would have a 99. Okay. <laughs> I, but I don't think you would though. I think you could, but you wouldn't. And I think that's. Oh difference. yeah, absolutely. Never, not in a hundred years. Yeah. That, that's what I mean. The, yes. the people who get 99s and maintain 99s their whole life, they're not useful. Anyway, yeah. that's, that's what I was saying, but I'm going to just going to cut all that out. <laughs> um, that. What? Oh yeah. I, I wanted to say something. I know. I'm just thinking, where did I, what was the last thing I said? so that I can say it again, so that you can then say your thing. I, I can just start with my thing. It, okay, it might not cut well, though, but, oh, but anyway. Sure. Okay, okay. I don't I remember you, what I said, so you were You matter. were talking about um, education, making people good workers, and that versus, like, well-rounded oh, okay. people. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just think that, it, that we would be a lot better. And honestly, all of the problems that we've talked about in this podcast with the current learning situation, I think it would all be solved if we shifted education to be from being about making the most productive worker into making the most well-rounded human being, because I think well-rounded human beings do better than someone who has been like forced to memorize everything. And to that point, actually, um, I know, I know it's kind of the party line, not going to say which party, (laughs) but kind of the party line that uh, education does make more productive workers and that's what it's for, whatever. But if you, if you look at how we educate people and what that actually results in, it's, it a hundred percent does not turn out productive workers. Um, our, our, I mean, our, uh, primary secondary school system that is built to keep kids occupied while their parents are at work and also to introduce like basic literacy and numeracy so you can read the time clock in your industrial revolution factory which is the last time it was significantly updated our school system um, but post-secondary really like depending on the degree but a lot of degrees function as almost a baseline for employers to look at your resume. It's not like if I come out of my psychology degree, I will, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not actually going to be substantially more qualified for most jobs than someone without a psychology degree, but it makes a huge difference. There are so many people who are not willing to consider employing someone without a degree, but like they couldn't tell you why they absolutely could not. Or not even wouldn't like, like, like don't want to, but like so many places can't for made up reasons. Like, like that's also true. Yeah. Like, like it's just the company has decided that you must have a bachelor's degree. I currently in my job, my boss has said that they would, they would hire me right now for a full-time job. But they can't because I don't have a degree. But it's like, I'm not going to be any more qualified in a year when I have that paper. 
Exactly. So no matter what the stated function is, like there, there are a lot of, I mean, and, and there is something to be said for critical thinking and, you know, demonstrating something about yourself and the fact that you can complete a degree. But on the other hand, there, there's a lot of stuff. It's not like doing a liberal arts degree meaningfully prepares you for a specific job. Um, also, side note, if you haven't read Bullshit Jobs by David Graeber, you should, should, should go read that book uh, because a lot of jobs also don't... Uh, I. Um, God damn it. I had a train of thought. I lost it. Um. It's okay because, um, so we, as usual, uh, have gone on and on, uh, because we care a lot about this topic. Um, too much even one might say one might, who knows? Um, I think that uh, we could make this a whole other episode where we talk more about how education as a whole needs to change. Oh my God, we could make a whole other podcast. I mean, every every week we say that, right? Um, so as per usual, um, Alex and I care way too much uh, about this topic and we have decided that this will not be a one-part episode. Um, the next episode will be a continuation of this. So this week will just be, you know, we've talked about um, online learning, hybrid learning, what learning uh, can kind of look like as we go through these next couple of months. Some and of the forces involved in learning talked about many things. I'm sorry, I'll stop interrupting. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so next episode, we will continue um, in a similar vein, but talking more in general about sort of education as a whole, uh, changes that need to be made to the larger, you know, sphere of education, uh, not just talking about, you know, even just at the university, we'll talk about politics and all the other stuff that plays into that. Um, but yeah, that's, um, every, I think we should start a game of, uh, like just for, for the two of us, cause obviously people listening don't know, but let me tell you, listeners, the number of times that I look and I'm like, oh, yeah, we're way off track from where we should have been because we just care too much. Maybe <laughs> maybe we should make a podcast about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> as always, I mean, as you can tell, I mean, we clearly care a lot about this. We really enjoy doing it. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening. Um, we're cut. It feels a little weird to be kind of just cutting it when we were kind of in the middle of a topic, but we will but be, hey, we're going to have a whole nother episode to, to keep going. So get excited for that, everyone. And, and the most exciting bit is this will be part two of a three part series because, uh, the whole, all three episodes will fold nicely together into a welcome back to school sort of, uh, series. So Episode six, this one that you just listened to, and then episode seven and eight, which will be coming out in September, throughout September. Um, stay tuned for all of those, because if you liked this episode, chances are you will You're like those. love the others. <laughs> so, right. yeah, as always, thank you so much for listening and tuning in. Uh, we really, really do appreciate it. Um, also, you know, if, if if you're willing to tune in on a regular basis to listen to, to the two of us 
chat about topics, then person, I, I hold a special place in my heart for you. I, I feel deep affection for you personally, every, every one of our listeners. That's such a weird thing to think of that there's someone who would tune in like every time we post something to listen to what we have to say. Um, and we don't do this. We don't really do this for any specific reason other than the fact that we just enjoy it. You know, we're enjoying hopping on a call and working out what this podcast is going to be about every uh, episode. Um, and so, But even though we don't do it, you know, we're not doing this to like get likes and views and whatever. We do think that the topics that we talk about are important, um, especially, you know, this week. Um, so if you do feel so inclined to share it um, or do any of those things that would help people see it more like thumbs up or whatever the service you're listening to this on offers, like subscribe, comment, anything like that. Um, definitely would appreciate that because this is this particularly for me is an issue I care a lot about as you could probably have guessed seeing as I spent a year doing research on it. Um, but yeah, so share, like, comment, subscribe, all those things uh, so that more people can uh, hear our mediocre takes on... Excuse me, our takes <laughs> are, are really good. I'm, our I'm... fire takes on the current state of Flaming the world. hot takes. Soon coming to a Longo's near you. <laughs> oh, please tune into that episode. That is going to be an episode you don't want to miss. Screw education. We need to talk about the layout of Longos. It's coming up. But, don't uh, worry. And, and, until then. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Until then, thank you so much. Uh, we will catch you next time. This has been David and Alex. Alex and David. One might say, yes. Um, actually, that is, I do make sure every time I type it out to put your name first. Oh. Um, so, yes. Thank you for tuning in again. Uh, We'll catch you next time. Bye.